We are, as your pastor said, we are from Vancouver, Canada, and uh, Cheryl and I pastor a great church there. We love it. We love our church. It's called Coastal Church. You can find it on the website, just coastalchurch.org, or find it on a podcast, easy to find. And uh, we have four children and uh, two grandchildren. It's been a busy last couple of months for us. One of our daughters just had a baby, and another daughter's graduating in a couple of weeks, and another daughter's getting married in a couple of weeks, so it's been... A uh, busy month where there's lots of visits to dad's pocketbook. But anyhow, it's all been good. And uh, it's all family. We love it. And uh, we're, we're grateful to be married for 35 years. Our children love God. And uh, it's great to have that. We don't take it for granted. We thank God for it. It's also great to be in a church that's very unique. Uh, it's very urban, very uh, in the core of the city. Vancouver's right one of the best cities in the world to live. But it's kind of whitewashed. Behind all that niceness, there's a lot of hurting people. And we're parked right smack dab in the middle of it. Our church is right on the anchor block of the city. The tallest buildings in the city are around us. We are surrounded by a high-rise community, and that's a little bit different, we found, than where I came from. I came from a very rural community, uh, a ranching farming community in southern Alberta, north of your Montana. And uh, so when God transplanted us into downtown Vancouver, it was a bit of a change for us. We if we wanted to go on a holiday, we'd like to go somewhere away from a city, and God brought us to city, and he put a love in our heart for the city. So it's been a great adventure for us. been there for 19 years, and it's great to see what God has done. Something about just being faithful, just staying put, and just continuing to do what God asks you to do, and, and uh, he does uh, miraculous things. We're hearing what's happening here, the miraculous growth and what God's doing at Influence Church over a short period of time. You really have to just kind of pinch yourself and just know that you're, you're living in something pretty special, and uh, to be on the ground floor of it and to be part of it and the building of it. We shared with your team the other day that, uh, you know, down the road, you're going to be telling stories about when you met in the theater. You won't always be meeting in the theater. And for those of you set up and tear down, you're all saying hallelujah. But there's going to be a, a time when you're, you're going to look back and say, oh, yeah, the theater days. And uh, you'll get to share those memories because you were the inaugural, you're part of that. So congratulations to you on the hard work you're doing here at Influence Church. I want to share with you a couple of verses this morning, and uh, the first verse I'll put up there is a, a verse found in the Gospel of John, and sometimes we do this in our church and have you do it with us this morning. Just repeat after me, thank you, Lord, for the book of John. Would you say that? Now, John might be listening, so let's just say it a little louder. You know, there's a great cloud of witnesses, just in case John's listening. Okay, let's say it with a lot of enthusiasm. Thank you, Lord, for the book of John. Amen. It's a great book, and we're going to be there. John chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. This is uh, our Lord speaking. It's there at the well, and uh, the disciples had gone to get some food. Jesus had met the woman at the well, and they're coming back. And uh, this is what our Lord has to say to them. Uh, they brought the food. I don't know where they went to get food. They didn't have McDonald's or, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I don't know what they brought back, but they brought back some fast food for the Lord that day. And, uh, and he, he, he's not responding. He's, I don't need any food. And he says to them in John 4, 34, 35, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are yet still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. Let's pray and then we're going to get into God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. It is life for us. It's living. It is food for us. And uh, this morning, God, we're here today to learn from you. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. You are the great teacher and you have the ability to help us to understand your word. 
We didn't come to fill out a report card today. We didn't come to listen for our neighbor. We came to hear what you'd have to say to us. So, Lord, would you speak to us personally? And we hear what you're saying. May we be encouraged. May we be built up. May we be exhorted, God. We hear what you have to say to us this morning, and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. In this verse, you have a mission statement for the church and as a young church and growing. It's good to know what your mission is and what your vision is. And uh, we we frame it in different ways. But really, our Lord boils it down for us here. He says, look unto the harvest. And any growing church, any successful church, any church that's going to last, continue to grow and be vibrant and full of life has to do what this verse talks about. Because it says here to look unto the harvest. And so if you look, that's vision. So this is a vision for the disciples. This is vision for the church to look unto the harvest. If I look down, I see my feet, I see my knees, I see myself. If I look up, I see others, I see the harvest. And I don't know what your demographics are exactly in Anaheim Hills or in your neighborhood here, but I would venture to say that you have some friends and relatives and coworkers that don't know the Lord. Is that correct? Can I see a hand? If, that's, if you have some friends that don't know Jesus, all right. So that's what he says. I want you to look at them, look unto the harvest. That's your vision. And he said, this is food for me. You know what energizes a church, what energizes your life is when you give the gospel away. Uh, If you don't give it away, matter of fact, churches get kind of stinky. We're we're meant to be a river and not a reservoir. Reservoir, on the farm, we had something called a dugout. We just dug out the ground, the water collected there, and that's where we fed the cattle. And when we'd go there, it was filled with moss, it was filled with slime, it was green, it was stagnant, it was stinky. And uh, then we also had the Waterton River flowed through our property. Out of the mountains, out of the foothills came this Waterton River. But it wasn't like that. It was fresh and clean. We loved to swim in it, fish in it, drank that water. But we didn't want the dugout water. And we're not called to be a reservoir. We're called to be a river. And a church is a river of life. And uh, if we don't give it away, we become stinky and stagnant. But if we're giving away, we're full of life. And a healthy church is one that says, hmm, I want to look at the harvest. I'm going to look out there what he's doing for us. So this is a vision statement for us. Then I want to give you another scripture, Matthew chapter 28, and verses 16 to 20. Uh, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even even to the end of the age. Amen. That would include today that the Lord's still with us. But here, part of the mission statement is to go into all the world and to make disciples. Great companies have mission statements that their employees know. And if you, if you Google it, you can find the top 10 mission statements. The mission statement for Harley-Davidson, they got a great mission statement. Nike's got a great mission statement. Some of these mission statements, we even know, even as consumers, we know them. McDonald's has a mission statement. Well, Jesus gave a mission statement to the church. He says, here's your mission statement. I want you to go in all the world, and I want you to make disciples. There's an action word in there, and that word is go. Two-thirds of God's name is go. And so I want you to go, get out, go. Recently, I was at... Uh, a service down the street at the Holy Rosary Cathedral. The, the archbishop invited me to a special service for the inauguration of the new pope. And so we went to the service, and it's, he's a great, God's doing amazing work all across the world, and amazing work's happening even within the Catholic Church. You see great things happening. 
And as he spoke, the archbishop, he said, you know, the new pope was speaking to us and, uh, as bishops, and he said, God has a word for you as Catholic leaders. Uh, you know, we always think of the verse, I stand at the door and knock, and the, if any man open the door, I'll come in. He says, I think for the, our church, he's saying, the, Jesus standing on the inside, he's knocking the door, please go out, please go, please go tell somebody about what you have. Get out there, share it. And, uh, and it's, it's true that God said to the church, go, go, go tell somebody, go make disciples. And uh, he says to go make disciples. It's one thing just have an experience with Jesus, but nothing to make disciples. Your mission statement as a church is, is for the harvest, and your mission statement as a church, for all churches, is to go and make disciples. You know, you were actually called disciples before we were called Christians. Initially, we were all called disciples. In Acts chapter 11, it says in Antioch, and there the disciples were first called Christians. So Christian and disciple are actually interchangeable. Wherever you see the word disciple, you could actually put the word Christian. 269 times we've heard the, the word disciple. Three times we have the word Christian. And so really, we're all disciples. A disciple is a follower of somebody. We're followers of Jesus. We're disciplined followers of Jesus, and we're sent to go make disciples. Emphasis on the make. Because how many know we are a work in progress? Amen? Anybody else would agree? I, I know, at least for me, I am a work in progress. My wife knows I'm a work in progress. I get reminded about that, that and uh, we, we know that we're a work in progress, and she's very patient with me, and, and God's patient with me. I think God's patient with all of us because we're just this work in progress. And uh, I don't know, some issues, do you have some issues in your life that God seems to have to work on more than others? And uh, you, you think you got victory in it, and then you, God does a little more work on it, and then three years later, you're still kind of working on this, and we're just a work in progress. I get a lot of encouragement from the disciples because they too were a work in progress. And the neat thing is, God used them despite the fact that they're a work in progress. And God uses you and I despite the fact we don't have it all together. He uses us. Uh, our church doesn't have it all together, yet God uses us. And influence church won't have it all together, but God uses us, and he makes us. There's this, there's this process where he makes us into disciples. There's a great story. It's, it's a few years old. I think it happened in the 60s, but you can Google it and find it and get the whole story. But it's, a, it's called the pineapple story, and you may have heard it or may not have heard it, but it's, a, it's about this guy who's a work in progress. He's got an anger issue. And uh, he doesn't go to anger management. He, maybe it took him eight years to get over his anger issue. And God had to work with him to make him a disciple. And God sent him and his wife. They were Dutch, Dutch Reformed. And they sent him to Papua New Guinea to work with the natives there. And uh, so they were working there. And, and uh, you know, they didn't have much fresh fruit. So he decided, I'm going to plant a, a pineapple field. So he, it takes a long time to grow pineapples, three years to grow pineapples. And, and uh, finally, the pineapples begin to come up. But he said, uh, the, the people we're working with, they were chronic thieves. They'd steal everything we have. They, they would steal our can opener. And uh, they would steal our... They said, they, one time my wife said, have you seen the, the safety pins uh, for, the, for the children's diapers? I can't find them. And uh, uh, diaper pins. And, and she said, no, we haven't seen them. But then a little... little a while later, they, they found the native women were walking around them hanging on their ears. And so long before goth came to North America, it was happening over there in the 60s already. They, were, where they, they stole everything they had, and they had to constantly watch everything. And so then the pineapples came up, and, and they started stealing the pineapples. Even before they were ripe, they'd steal the pineapples. And he got so angry, and they called him long nose. And it meant stingy because he, he, would, he would, didn't want anybody to take his pineapples. And he'd chase them out and get a stick and say, leave my pineapples alone. Get on my pineapple patch. They're my pineapples. I'm growing my pineapples. I want this fresh fruit. And he would get so angry with the natives. But they'd come at night, and they'd steal his pineapples. He'd get up in the morning, they were gone. 
And so one time he, he built this little, uh, he covered the pineapples, put the leaves over it. The, you know, he found a couple ones that were just so ready to eat. You know when you get a perfect pineapple, the color is just right and it's so sweet. He covered it, he was so ready for the pineapple. He went there and, and uh, he's, oh good, they haven't covered it. They haven't taken anything. And sure enough, when he went to pull it all back, they put all the sticks back exactly the same place that they stole his pineapple. He was so mad, oh, they stole my pineapples. And he, he didn't know what to do. He was so frustrated. His health, he was so concerned about his pineapple patch, he, he, his health began to break down. And he had to take more medication. You know, if you get angry and bitterness, it affects your whole body. And here's this missionary sent there, and his, his, his health is, just, is, is breaking down because of his pineapples. And uh, so he's, he's so frustrated. Uh, he has a clinic. His wife is a nurse, and so they give medication. They help the people. Sickness was starting to get eradicated in the villages. But he was so angry, folks. You know what he did? He said, I'm not giving you any more medicine until you stop stealing my pineapples. That's the deal. No more medicine until you stop stealing my pineapples. But they kept stealing the pineapples and were getting sick. Oh, what kind of Christian am I? I I'm denying the medicine. They said, okay, you can have Come, have the medicine. I'll, and, and yes, you're stealing pineapples, but I have to help you. And then he said, I had a little store. I sold them fish hooks and different supplies. And they'd come into my store and they'd say, I want to trade you for a fish hook. They said, well, what do you got to trade? I'll give you pineapples for your fish hooks. <laughs> he goes, no, my pineapple. He said, got angry. Get out of my store. Go, go. He's so mad at them. And somebody stole one of his shirts. And they're all natives. Nobody wore shorts. And somebody said, oh, how do you like my shirt? Well, it's my shirt. So they were chronic thieves. They were headhunters. They stole from each other. That's the way they lived. One time he said, I was watching from the back and I saw the mom bring her little, little daughter up to the front and she was, they were teaching their kids how to steal in front of my pineapple patch. And I was so mad. I went, what are you doing? You're teaching your children to steal in front of my pineapple patch. And he had caught the girl stealing. The mother was so mad. She was disciplining the little girl. He said, what are you doing? Oh, I'm so angry at my girl. Why are you mad? Because she got caught. I'm a bad mom. I didn't teach her to steal well. He says, this is their culture. So he finally we had enough. I said, I'm going, I'm leaving, we're going on furlough. So they went back home and they went to a Bill Gothard con conference. And at the conference, Bill Gothard says, now, I want to teach you about discipleship. Discipleship means if you're a disciple of Christ, if you're a Christian, that means you deny yourself and you give up your rights, you give up everything to the Lord. And he was so convicted. Oh, that means my pineapple patch back in Papua New Guinea. Oh, my pineapple patch. And he was so convicted. He said, I wept there and cried and I came back home and I said to my wife, I think we need to go back to Papua New Guinea. I think we need to go back. She said, no, no, we're not going back. We'll take another assignment anywhere in the world, but we'll not go back to Papua New Guinea. Our health is bad. We can't go back. He said, no, we must go back. So they went back, went to all the villages, and to every village, every house in the village, he brought a knife, you know, a special knife. And they were so, hey, what are you doing? Well, I, I, was, I was mean. I was angry, and so I want to, I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want, he said they had no word for forgiveness, they had no word for restitution, so I'm going to give you back, uh, I'll give you a knife. They said, you're a very strange man. And so they, they took the knife. They didn't understand. They had no concept of this. And uh, so then they, they kept stealing the pineapples. And, but he had given it to God, right? So it was like, okay. They came to steal. And, uh, and they come stealing. He said, oh, you know, there's a big, nice yellow one right back there. Get that one there. And he was helping them steal the pineapples. They, Is he gone blind? Why? He, he's very strange. Now he's helping us steal the pineapples. He gives us a knife, helps us steal the pineapples. And then one of the leaders came up to him and said, you know, what's happened in your life? Something has changed. Uh, and he said, this leader said, have you become a Christian? And he goes, what do you mean? Well, years ago when you were here, you told us what a Christian was like, and we've been looking ever since to find one, and we think maybe you became one. And he said, oh, I was, he said, you've been always angry, you had a long nose, and now you're actually happy. I don't understand. What happened to you? 
And he said to him, well, I, I gave my garden away. You go, what? Yeah, I gave my pineapple patch away. That's what, now I'm happy. And, he, and, they were, and the, he said they think when they, they rub their nose when they think. And, they rub, and so then they were concerned. Well, who did you give the pineapple patch to? And he said, I was so convicted that they didn't think I was a Christian. That I, I just said, you know what, I'll tell you tomorrow. I'll come back tomorrow, I'll tell you who I gave the garden to. And he said, they had a very miserable night. Thieves were miserable because he said, I heard them talking as they left. They said, now what are we going to do? We don't know who he gave the garden to. Who are we going to steal from? We don't know whose it is. Maybe it's a witch doctor. Maybe it's a headhunter. We don't know who it is. So they, had a very, they didn't sleep that night. They came the next morning with their spears and their bows, and they were very upset. And they said, who, gave, who did you give your pineapple patch to? And he said, well, I, I gave it to God. You gave it to God? When did you give it to God? He said, well, you know, a couple months ago, really when I was overseas, I gave it to God at the conference. And then they were very mad. They, they wanted to throw their spears at him. They were very mad. Well, why? Because when you gave it to God, since then, our, our wives haven't been getting pregnant. The fish haven't been biting. And uh, we haven't found any pigs to hunt anymore. And basically, everything's gone wrong in our village. And one of the guys says, can I ask you a question? And he said, yes. Can your God see in the dark? He said, oh, yeah, my, our God can see like a cat. He can see everything in the dark. And so the man said to his wife and all his children, he says, don't take this pineapple anymore. And then he asked somebody else. And they, so they, they said, can, can your God stop our wives from getting pregnant? Yes, God could do that. God was taking care of the pineapple patch. You know, when you give it to God, God will take better care of it than you can take care of it. And sometimes as a disciple, we need to give everything to God. We need to give influence church to God. Amen? It's his church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he went through this very hard lesson where he had to totally give it to God. Sometimes we give it to God and then we take it back. And no, no, we have to, a disciple says, I give it, I deny myself, I give it to you. Christian disciple are interchangeable. It took him eight years to learn the lesson. He says, and then they began to come to Christ and then we built a church. It's an amazing story. Just but I share it because the discipleship process was a long one for him. It's a process for us. It was a process for the disciples in the book of Luke as well. Go with me to Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, go there. We'll share a few verses out of Luke chapter 9. I love Luke 9 because it really helps me understand uh, that I am not alone in making disciples and not alone in my own discipleship walk. It gives me courage. As our church, we have a lot of first-generational Christians. We live in an area... Uh, Vancouver downtown where only maybe 3% go to church. So a lot of people aren't church. And when they come to know the Lord, they, just, they don't have anything really to for, refer to in their background. And so the discipleship process, it takes a while. And when I read Luke chapter 9, I actually get encouraged. So I hope it encourages you this morning because you realize these guys were on a journey and uh, we're on a journey as we follow him. And so Luke chapter 9, we start off there in Luke 9, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 9. And we, we, this verse is very important in the whole, in the whole scheme of things, because in Luke 9, verse 1, it says, Then he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Folks, that's good news. And as he gave them power and authority over devils and to cure diseases, he's given everybody power over demons and to cure diseases. So he gave them power, and not just power, power and authority. There's difference. You know, if a police officer walks in, he pulls out his gun, he's got power. If you're a thief, you've got power. That's the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from. You have power. But he also gave you authority. The police officer also has a badge. He's, got, he's been deputized. He's got this authority that came with him. And when Jesus said to go make disciples, he said, go therefore. Other translation says, therefore go. How, why do we go? Because all authority has been given to Christ. 
You remember the old westerns where the, the sheriff needs some men to go form a posse and catch the bad guy, and he takes a, a badge. He says, I deputize you. You're part of the posse. Let's go. And Jesus says, you're part of the posse. I'm deputizing you. Now, therefore, go and make disciples. It'd be a sad thing if he sent us to go make disciples, but he didn't give us any power to do it. That'd be like somebody building a house with construction workers and saying, go build a house, but there's no tools and no power, nothing to do with it. When God said to go make disciples, this is why it's so much fun. This is why it's so exciting. Because when you go make disciples and do the stuff, that's when you see the miracle working power of God. I don't know about you, but without that, Christianity is really boring. But when you see the power of God at work, lives change, people set free, folks, that's as good as it gets. And that's what keeps it. When you see lives change, it's so amazing. And uh, every week we see, you know, uh, I'm sure it's the same way here. You, uh, your pastor telling us some of the stories of people being healed and set free. And, wow, that's exciting stuff. We get to do the stuff. And so he sends them out with power and authority, and he sends them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That's important. Teach them to preach the kingdom. It hasn't changed. He still sends us to preach the kingdom, heal the sick, preach the kingdom of God. It's not, it didn't say preach coastal church. It didn't say preach influence church. It says preach the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It's about a bigger picture. Remember, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's about the picture of the kingdom. He says, preach the kingdom and uh, heal the sick. So he sends them out. And away they go. And about that time, verse 7, it says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard all that was done by him. It's not by coincidence that now Herod hears. Up to this time, he hadn't really heard, but now he hears. You know when we're going to get the attention of the world and we really realize that the church is at work and Jesus is at work is when we all go. Uh, when we are involved in a run, like you talked about. You need 70 runners. The city, wow, look what this church is doing. They're involved in the run. They're out there doing it. That gets a city's attention, amen? And uh, this is what got their attention because now the disciples were doing it. So they're out there doing it, get their attention. And then it says in verse 10, the apostles, they come back. These disciples had gone. They'd gone on this little mission trip. They come back. It says in verse 10 that they told him all that they had done. How many here have gone on a, on a mission trip? Anybody gone on a short-term mission trip? Okay, a few hands. How many have gone? This would be easier. Then how many have gone on a holiday and you took lots of pictures? You came back, you filled your camera. Okay, good number of hands. And you come back, what do you want to do? You want to sit down with somebody and say, do you want to see my pictures? And, and you scroll through your pictures. You know, we used to put them in, in photo albums, but now we just scroll through it. And I don't know about you, but when I'm listening to somebody tell me about their mission trip or they're telling me about their photo album, about 10 minutes in, I'm kind of zoned out. Like, I know it was nice for you, and I know that beach looked good, and that was funny, but I'm, I'm, you lost me. I'm, I'm kind of gone. And, and, you, and you just want to show them all your pictures of Israel, and this is this, and this is here we climbed this mountain, and, and you're, but you're kind of zoned out on it. But Jesus... But Jesus, this is important, he heard all that they had to say. I found out one thing. The only person who wants to hear everything about my life is Jesus. And he, they told him all that they had done, and Jesus listened to everything. So sometimes my wife won't want to hear everything. She listens the most, and sometimes your parents might, your friends might. But Jesus will listen to all that you have to say. So I thought that was interesting. He heard all that they had to say. And uh, he was preaching. Jesus was healing the people, doing that. There's a great multitude. Verse 12, it says... When the day began to wear away, the twelve came to him and said, now listen to this very closely, the disciples are there, followers of Jesus, and they say to Jesus, send the multitudes away. 
Now, is that focusing outward or is that focusing inward? That's an inward focus. If you want to be a strong church, you have to focus outwardly, not inwardly. The disciples, it was all about them. They said, you know what, we're, Jesus, we're kind of tired. And uh, actually, these people, you know, we don't have enough food anyhow. And uh, so just send the multitudes away. And Jesus said, no, no, we're, we're going to feed them. And of course, you know the story. They multiply the bread, they multiply the, the fish, and they feed the, the multitudes. And they, but they wanted to send them away. Jesus had compassion on them. Uh, Pastor Tam is going to talk about compassion uh, coming up. Do you know, you, you don't have miracles without compassion? Because faith works by love. Faith is energized by love. Galatians chapter 5, 6, faith is energized by love. Uh, this little battery pack for my microphone is energized by a battery. If the microphone doesn't work, the first thing we do is check, is the, is the battery good? And if your faith isn't working, the first thing you check is your love. Is my love there? Is my compassion there? Because compassion fuels miracles. And they had no compassion. And, uh, of course, Jesus did, and so he feeds the multitude. So that's the first case. They send the multitudes away because they're, really, uh, they're in really focused. Jesus feeds them. And uh, he, he feeds them all. By the way, Jesus is very organized. He has set them down in groups of 50, very organized. They clapped. Uh, very environmentally friendly because they picked up all the leftovers and, uh, and gathered them up. They didn't leave scraps. So you see the organizational skills of, of our Lord here. And uh, then in verse 18, another case is, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. And uh, I don't know where the other disciples were earlier on, but it, it seems like either they, they were with Jesus and not praying or Jesus was alone praying and they showed up later to pray. So that's case number two. You know, to be uh, outwardly focused means to pray for other people, means to pray for other churches, means to be praying for others around your area. A strong church is focused outwardly. It's focused on the harvest, focused on the needs of other people. If you, and as a church at this stage in your life, I can't stress this enough, if you get this in your DNA, you have the privilege now of laying foundation, DNA, early stuff. And if you get it in here now, this will be the culture of your church. And it will be there for the next generation, the generation to come. You'll always be known as a church that loves the loss, that loves hurting. We're going to do this because there's a tornado in Oklahoma. We're going to reach out to them. Folks, that's the right kind of stuff. You can build a great church on that. Amen. Give God praise. Come on, just thank Him for what He's doing through you here. That's what you want in the DNA of the church. We're outwardly focused. It keeps us healthy, keeps the river flowing. We don't become the stinky reservoir. There's a river of life flowing out of us. You remember singing that song? There's a river of life flowing out of... No, you don't. Okay. Somebody in the back said, I remember that song. There's a river of life flowing out of us. Okay. So that's the second case, you know, that they're alone praying. Then we... In verse 23, Jesus reminds them he's training disciples, making disciples. If anyone desires to come after me, be a disciple, follow me, let him deny himself daily, follow after me. So he reminds them about that. Then you go on to the story of the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. Jesus is going up on the mountain. Verse 28 came to pass about eight days after the saying. A week later after he taught them some more on it, they're going up on the mountain. And uh, as they go up there, he reminds them and he says to them, Okay, I'm taking Peter, Johns, and James. Folks, this is the starting lineup. You know, in basketball, and our starting lineup is. Football, and our starting lineup is. For the disciples, and our starting lineup is. Peter, yay, Peter, and John, yay, John, and James, yay, James. And they come running out, and she's, okay, we're going up on the mountain. So starting lineup, up on the mountain, and it says here so clearly, verse 20, up on the mountain to pray. So that's the game plan. Guys, up on the mountain to pray. But if you read on, guess what Peter, James, and John are doing? They're sleeping on the mountain. 
And then they wake up, and they, Jesus had saw Moses and Elijah in all his glory, and, and uh, Peter wakes up and says, oh, man, you know, it'd be kind of nice if we built some temples up here. And it says, Peter not knowing what he was saying. And so this is strike number three in the training process. They're sleeping when they should be praying. And Jesus hears the Father speak from heaven. God says from heaven, very simply, this is my beloved son, hear him. And of all the things God could have said, he says, Hear him. Listen to him. You guys, listen, 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 listen. Why is it so important to listen? Because when we listen, faith comes. Faith comes by listening. Faith comes by hearing. Or we could say trust comes by fall. Trust comes by hearing. Trust comes by listening. If you want to trust him, you want to follow him, you have to trust him. We don't follow somebody we don't trust. But if you, you'll, you'll trust Jesus. You'll follow him if you listen to him. And so, again, this discipleship process is underway for these guys. Okay, so they come along, and now they're at, uh, uh, they come down from the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and they come down, and, and here's the other nine disciples waiting for them, and they've got this little boy and a dad, the boy's demon-possessed, but remember verse 1, they were given power to cast out demons, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, we came to your disciples, and your disciples couldn't cast out the demon, and Jesus, oh, you guys, and so he casts the devil out of them, and he sets the little boy free. And I have my own theory on this, why they couldn't do it. I may be wrong on this, and it's just my theory. But my, my thinking is that the other nine, they didn't get to go up on the mountain. And so I'm thinking, you know what, how come John got to go up and not me? How come Jesus picked Peter and not me? I think I should have gone up there. You know, when we get inwardly focused and thinking about ourselves, our faith is crippled. Even though we've been empowered to do it, but if we become inwardly focused, and what about me, and what about this, it cripples the power of God to flow out of our lives. And so that's the next strike. Okay, this is a discipleship in process. They're in training. And, uh, and they have, so far, they're not doing so good in Luke chapter 9. And, but we need to go on. We, this, it gets better as we go along. Uh, they couldn't do it. And so at this time, now, now they, sent the disciples, they, they sent the multitudes away. They weren't at the prayer meeting. They couldn't do what Jesus asked them to do. And then we find in verse 46, they're fighting. Now there's a fight amongst them, inwardly focused, and they're fighting. When you're inwardly focused, fights come. And guess what they're fighting about, folks? They're fighting about who's the greatest. That's like having the worst season in your football league, and you're fighting who's going to win the MVP. None of you are going to win the MVP. They're fighting who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus, oh, you guys, you're a work in progress. So he, he takes a child and teaches them, you know, if you become like a child, you become great. And so they're, they're, they're a work in progress. And then... In 49, John, John the beloved, John the loved disciple, right? John comes up to Jesus, ah, Jesus, we saw this guy, and he's not with our church or our group, and he was using your name to cast out devils, so we actually went up to him and told him to stop, don't do that, because you're not part of our group, you don't get to do that. And Jesus says, no, you guys, if they're not against us, they're for us, they're on the same team. Hallelujah. You know, other churches are on the same team, Amen. It's a kingdom thing. God's doing a work of unity around the world like never before. He says, they're on the same team. So even John is working through some stuff. Now, you would think that would be it. You'd think, okay, I think they're getting it now. I think they know how to be disciples, and they're getting it. But now Jesus says, I'm going up to Jerusalem, and I need your help. Guys, I want you to run ahead into Samaria and get a place for me to stay. I want to have a meeting there and a hotel. So they go up there. And they go to the Best Western. They knock on the door. The Best Western, can Jesus stay here? No, we don't want Jesus to stay here. He's too controversial. So they go to the Hilton Hotel. Can Jesus stay here? Can he please? No, 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 we don't want Jesus here. We don't want you guys here. Okay. So they, they go to Motel 6. Please, can we, Jesus stay here? No, no. So nobody wants Jesus. They come back. 
And are you, are you ready for what they said? I mean, this is just filled with love and outward focus. Listen to what they say here. In verse 54, and his disciples, James and John, saw this. they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Come on, Lord, we, let's burn those suckers up. They're not with us, and let's burn them up. Now, they couldn't believe God to multiply the loaves and the fishes. That's pretty supernatural, but they can get fire from heaven to burn people up. So where, where is the focus? You know, we're not called to pray against people. We're called to pray for people. Even our enemies, we pray for enemies. Amen? And so this was a whole teaching, making disciples, making great churches is not to be inwardly focused, to be outwardly focused on the harvest of making disciples. Man, put that in the DNA of a church and look out. It'll outlive us. It'll be a, a, a legacy church. It'll reach generations to come. So Jesus turns and rebuked them. I love what Jesus said. You do not know what manner of spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but I have come to save them. And the Lord would say to us, I have come to save people. Know what spirit you're of. I'm of a spirit that reaches out, makes disciples, loves people, has compassion on them. That's the spirit they're of. There's a cost to discipleship, a cost to follow him. And Jesus encouraged them to do that. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 28 and just wrap up there. Matthew 28, this is going to encourage you. Matthew 28, he sent them out to go. But I want to read again the 17th verse there just before he sends them out because it helps me and may help you as well. Matthew 28, verse 17, the disciples are gathered there. Jesus appoints them, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But it says here, but some doubted. And then he says, go therefore. Do you know what? They didn't have their act all together. There were still some that were doubting. They were a work in progress. In Luke chapter 9, they were a work in progress. In the, when the church was born on the day of Pentecost, they didn't have all their best practices together, but he filled the Holy Spirit and he sent them out. And God's just, we, we don't have it all together. Some of us may be working through some doubts yet. Well, I'm not sure how about this. I don't know about this, but he sends us out to go. In Luke chapter 10, after, those, after Luke chapter 9, I would, have, I would have just cut the whole team and got a whole new team, started all over again. But Jesus doesn't do that. It says in Luke 10, he says, then after these things, he sent 70 others. He does more of it. You go, well, we'll get 70 more to go. You get a picture of your father. He so knows we don't have it all together. He so knows we're on this track to, in our own growth and helping others to grow. But he sends us out to go. Why? Because he knows that if he, if he has what we are, finite, limited, don't have it all together. But if we go, God can work with it. Amen? He can take what we are, imperfect vessels, and through us, the power of God can flow to change a world around us. And this is an influenced church. And I'm just encouraging you this morning, wherever you are in your walk, continue to lean into God, be a disciplined follower of Christ, and know that God wants to use you in your life, right where you are today, to change the world around you. You can be an influencer for Christ and help make disciples. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1-8, you said, I will give you power to go and be a witness. And Lord, you know where we are in our lives this morning. You know what has happened in our life. You know where we are in the process of being a disciple. But you have called us to go into all the world. And this morning, Lord, as we come before you, we say, Lord, complete the work that you started in my life. 
I think what you said in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, of this thing, that he had began a work in you, will complete that work. And Father, you know where each person is here today. Maybe they're just visiting church for the first time today and, and just hungry for you. God, I pray you do a deep work in their life. Maybe they've been in church for years and need a fresh awakening to see the harvest, maybe to see people in their office that they've never seen before. Some of you here, you've, you've gone to work in the same place week after week. And, and this week, God's going to show you somebody that's working down the hall from you or somebody that maybe you get a coffee every week at the same place or your dry cleaner, and all of a sudden your eyes are going to be open. You go, wow, I'm in that person's life, and they don't know the Lord. And he's calling you, awakening to focus outwardly on the needs around you. So, Father, would you do a work in us? I pray for Influence Church this morning. I pray, God, in the very heart, in the very DNA of this church, God, you'd continue to grow. And it's already growing, but, Lord, would you fertilize it? Would you nurture it, God, that this church would be known as a church that reaches out, like what they're doing in Oklahoma. God, that our focus would be outward. You said to look unto the harvest. Father, may we see the harvest. May be a church that's a strong, soul-winning church changing this nation for the cause of Christ. We pray for Pastor Phil and Tammy. We ask God you continue to give them wisdom, surround them with great leaders. God, we pray your blessing over what you're doing here. And we thank you that you started the work, you'll complete the work. You're the author, the finisher of our faith. You'll build your church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I stand in agreement with them today, and I speak into the spiritual realm, and I bind every power of darkness, every spiritual wickedness, every attack of the enemy to try to come against this church. I command you to stand back. You have no right. You have no authority. You have no jurisdiction over this body of believers. And we stand with them, and we break your power in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. You began a good work, and you'll complete it, and you'll use it in a mighty way. We commit this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.